This is One More Turn over at OneMoreTurn.net, and this is the Season 8 Commentary. I'm series creator, producer, voice performer for Hudson, joined by Annalie Cartamandua-Barney, who voices Bella. Hello! Scott Alvashar-Dirk, who voices Carson. Hello. Jennifer Lund, voicing Avery. Hi. And Canis <laughs> Albinus, <laughs> who voices Man. Hello. This whole podcast did start out with TMI. <laughs> <laughs> true. No we had fair warning at the beginning. That's true. And then you yes. accepted responsibility. You accepted... <laughs> We just didn't know it would last this long. <laughs> we thought we were signing on for like one or two seasons. <laughs> it keeps going and going. It's like the end. Of- oh, no, I can't say that. And they don't sponsor the show. You know who we're talking about, though, right? What were your first reactions when you had finished reading season eight scripts? I think my initial reaction was really like taken over by, holy crap, we're throwing a baby into this mix. And that pretty much, like, took over everything. Oh, these people. We don't need another baby in this with these people. That was- <laughs> I mean, we could kind of deal with Nax and Mora. Okay, cool. But Avery? I, I felt- it felt evil. I don't know. <laughs> I agree with you that Mora and Nax, oh, you know, they're Max and Nora's children. And Max and Nora are great people. And hopefully they will raise their children to be similar versions in that respect. But yeah... Avery, this doesn't even seem like something that Avery wants. She's talking about putting the child up for adoption. Although I think given her circumstances and her personality, you know, my personal take is she is thinking what's in the best interest of the child. And perhaps she is not the best person to be raising this child on her own or with any of the other people that she currently has in her orbit. Carson is really turning into a jerk. Turning? It makes us wonder if it's just because when Caleb was around, he was able to just be quiet and not let that be known by other people and not let that show. But he does seem to be becoming more and more of a jerk ever since he married Bella. Hmm. I I guess since he married uh, Bella, yeah, that he just, it just, I don't know what's, he doesn't seem like he should be in a relationship. It's just, I don't know, his attitude is really poor, I think. But I, I guess this is a little bit like some of those shows like MASH or Seinfeld with the cast is pretty reprehensible people. And you're just kind of seeing what happens to them, reaping what they sow kind of thing. I know when we've recorded season eight as that your commentary on what Carson is saying or not saying or doing or not doing were some of the moments that cracked all of us up. Yeah, because it was just you said it's difficult to say this as intended with the proper inflection and and to not commentate actually more than anybody. And I think part of that commentary during the episode recording about Carson is definitely changed considerably. Carson just wants to make everybody as miserable as he is. Yeah, he, he seems very resentful, I guess. He's not living what he wants to live or whatever. And so he's just kind of bitter, it seems like. And he definitely has unresolved issues with Caleb that seems like that ship has sailed Caleb has made the choice through rehab that he's not going to involve himself with anybody's life and I understand him cutting out a lot of people but to cut out Carson ah it's it's particularly cold I think I'm probably going to have to repeat myself for the answer that I gave you to this question about season seven specifically my reaction to the season seven ending 
And this just applies broadly to all of season eight. And it's three syllables. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) 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 That's basically what all of season eight has been is just one oh my god after another. Definitely character driven. I find it is more the reactions to characters and the choices that the characters are making as opposed to necessarily the plot points themselves. But that's what makes us, I think, want to keep coming back to these people. And even if we think that we are horrible people and or we know that we are horrible people and or still that other people think we are horrible people, we could at least say there's at least one person in this show that we're probably still better than. Yes, I don't know. I think I'll agree with what Gott was saying about the, you know, that these are all terrible people. I hadn't really thought to kind of compare this cast to Seinfeld, but they kind of are awful people with maybe one or two exceptions, but they're entertainingly bad and you just want to see what happens. You see, kids, there is this show called Seinfeld. And oh, we don't have time to answer oh, that. Come on, Dan. <laughs> it just dropped on Netflix. <laughs> oh, now that it's dropped on Netflix, yeah. it's it's a new release as far as certain generations are concerned. Okay, I I, I see that. <laughs> I think Scott's reactions were so funny, you know, and most recently because, you know, him playing this jerk is rather newer. Whereas Jennifer and I have been playing jerks day one, you know, <laughs> we're used to the things that Bella and Avery will say. Um, yes, yeah, it's true. But to hear Carson coming out, standing up for himself in this truly, truly jackass type way was was surprising. My character, the, the character I've always Hudson, that he has moments where he is a complete jerk, other times where he is partially a jerk, and occasionally he has those moments where it's, oh, he's actually doing something nice. He's actually thinking about somebody else in the moment. And it doesn't seem like he's keeping score. But the undertone is always, well, okay, you're a jerk. You're just a more maybe consistent jerk. You don't have quite the extremes that some of the other characters have. Whereas, yeah, Carson is a complete departure from that. And I do think that as the seasons go on, speaking of characters, man, innocent before he joined this show in the sense and now that he is ever more involved in the lives of these people that i feel that he is a jerk apprentice and uh we'll, we'll see if uh canis agrees with that but uh, what were your <laughs> <laughs> oh an apprentice um first reactions when you finish reading season eight scripts oh it is politics oh crap <laughs> that was my reaction because oh. i hate politics thankfully it's nonpartisan politics but i hate politics altogether not my favorite topic, and then my character ended up being a part of that, and I was like, oh. <laughs> but it was the best way to do it because it turns him into somebody who's like, I am doing a deal with the devil, and I know it. You feel like Van is finally a little more three-dimensional character rather than a two-dimensional character, even if you don't necessarily like what his dimensions are? When I originally agreed to voice that character, I requested that he remain a two-dimensional character, but that's okay. Because it's a lot more fun to just be the outsider character. Man really was introduced as a, we need someone other than these core characters for some of these characters to interact with situationally, almost be a plot device as opposed to a character in and of themselves. And hey, even though he does turn into, as you said, this three-dimensional character, he's still only referred to as Man. Although, I think we've made the joke before that part of the reason he is called Man is because none of the other male characters on the show are really Men. 
Uh, I don't remember hearing that joke, but <laughs> that makes an interesting point. I mean, isn't this season where Max says he was voted most feminine, I think? <laughs> it was this season, yes. Even though that was a lie that his brothers kept telling him, and then Avery's comment was like, I believe it. Oh, there were definitely some uh, good lines in this episode, like <laughs> Avery to Bella. Who's cheap now? Besides your mother. Whoa. whoa, whoa. <laughs> and Bella ignored it. That's incredible. Um, well, I mean, it's not like she's going to disagree. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, true. Yeah. Low blow, but it's true. Or uh, the one plus one equals screw over. That's some pretty good math. <laughs> yeah, I like that math. Actually, Bella has a point, you know, it's like, mm, you know, Avery, you decided to be with Hudson and you knew there was a sex tape of him and I. So what does that say about you? Well, mm. <laughs> but a woman has needs <laughs> and no standards. Well, well, you'd have to not have standards to be with Hudson. Uh, that's that's a fair point. Yeah. Oh. Also, lastly, the last line I would like to point out from this episode, because it's just funny, Carson, I would have tried smoke signals next, but I figured the wind gusts were too strong. <laughs> Are we blowing a lot of hot air around? Is that what I'm... Yes. Uh-huh. Absolutely. <laughs> Which episode this season is your favorite and why? I will start. Episode 806, All Out. We've got Gary out of the picture. Evelyn meets her match with her ex-cousin-in-law, Garrison. I find that their interaction reveals more not only about their background, but also the imminent strain that was Gary and Evelyn's marriage, alongside earlier iterations of Hudson and Bella's relationship, as well as Bella's with Uncle Garrison, which, by the way, this episode, I feel all but confirms that Bella and Gary are no longer on speaking terms. As well, Garrison puts Riley in her place, calling her out like few characters have before, and I don't think ever so bluntly into her face, no less. I would give a a runner-up to episode 802, because there's a recent Garrison interaction there, which is intriguing. You know, these are the two characters who were and are on the outside looking in with most established characters on the show. And it also serves as a prelude to Garrison's subsequent interaction with Riley in episode 806. But I'm going to give my favorite to episode 806. Anybody else have a favorite episode they want to throw into the mix? I guess I'll go with uh, 805, Forward Thinking. It's a Max and Nora episode, and I really enjoy their interactions. I think they're an adorable couple, and uh, Max is just always, I don't know, just trying trying, to, trying too hard sometimes, I think, and just not, not sure how to react with other people, so I can kind of relate to that a little. Me too, me um, too, me too! Yeah, so that would be my favorite episode. <laughs> okay, episode eight of five was also Deirdre's favorite episode, Scott's daughter. Yeah, I I can totally get that. There's definitely more than one instance in that episode where Max is saying something, and I think it's probably best exemplified right at the start when Max says, "I understand." Nora's like, "No, I don't think you do," and Max reluctantly says, "No, I don't think I do." Uh, <laughs> And I think Max is also one of those characters that tends to be unintentionally funny, but he also doesn't mind if people are laughing at him because he seems to be pretty comfortable with who he is. And maybe, he, as you said, Scott, maybe he's not the, always the best in social situations that he doesn't realize maybe when people are talking at him or even down to him or maybe even because of that, he doesn't care. 
And you're right for an episode that has only Max and Nora, which, again, I would say we've said before that are the two, maybe the only two generally likable characters. They both have moments where we're like, oh, I didn't like that they said that or they did that. But they're, quote unquote, the good guys out of this group. So anytime that you have an episode where the two of them are interacting with each other, especially with this one, as you said, it's only the two of them in this episode. I think it goes to show how They've managed to keep the lines of communication open and their relationship works for them. And I think generally it's pretty functional. Amazingly, considering that this town is just full of weirdos. Maybe this is Max and Nora's superpower that they have managed to take all of the good out of all of the weirdos and either make it a part of themselves and manage to repel all of the negatives. But they still manage to, I would say, you know, none of the characters, other characters really dislike Max and Nora. They might make fun of them from time to time, but I feel like there's this kind of subtle, almost unspoken respect, even if it's not for who they are, it's for who they're not. And that's not their enemy. That's not someone that they think is is less than. And they're certainly not someone that have been targeted very much in this show. I mean, Bella still gets criticized for foreclosing on the mortgage a few seasons ago that saw Max no longer be able to be in the laser hair removal business. But as it turns out, Max quite likes that. It's just people have just kind of seem to moved on from that. Episode 808, uh, Fall to Pieces. Hudson and Avery together are always fun and good for some fireworks. And I especially liked being able to spend the whole last bit of that episode calling him by turns uh, a son of a bitch and a self-righteous prick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, speaking of characters being told bluntly to their faces... um, what they think of someone else. Yeah, uh, oh, and, the, and I forgot the call out of his sister as naive and neurotic. And then, you know, the piece de resistance is the fuck you. <laughs> here's a detail you can freely share. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, another episode where we only have two characters, but it has a very different tone than <laughs> the Max and Nora episode. And yeah. This is an episode that makes us think, how are they still in any kind of relationship, romantic or otherwise? I mean, they've made it quite clear. Avery specifically made it clear where Hudson's like, you don't you wouldn't want to work with me. And Avery's like, because I don't mix business and pleasure anymore. And, yeah. And, and her. Uh, yeah. And, and then further says, well, anymore. And, and, and it's like, yeah, if you hadn't mixed uh, business and pleasure, we wouldn't be having this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> which i mean i don't know slut shaming avery seems to be kind of a low bar and maybe not particularly useful in the sense that that ship has already sailed but you know yeah use hudson to be slut shaming anybody but you know he definitely gets around and for the most part he manages to match himself with people who think Similarly, you know, I don't feel like Hudson is someone that has actually really taken advantage of anyone until now. I mean, this is not to say that Avery is a saint by any stretch of the imagination, but as Avery calls him Hudson out on his bullshit, you shouldn't have to plan to keep the secrets you hold bay. You should just hold them. And Hudson trying to make points like, hey, I betrayed your trust, but I've told you about it. So remember that. And it's, he's like, oh, no, no, no I'm, I'm not trying to points or anything like that. And it's like, yeah, well... 
you say that, but your actions speak louder than your words, sir. <laughs> yeah. This was definitely an episode where I talked about, you know, Hudson goes back and forth between being a complete prick to only slightly one. And this is definitely on the heavier side. Yeah. Oh, brutal. I don't really have a favorite episode because I don't really like the contents of any of them because they're all so just full of invective. And I can't really put a favorite to that. But I'd have to go with the standard answer, which is the part where I get to yell at Riley and Hudson because they're in the public having a conversation. And I'm like, OK, I'll tell you what you're saying. Oh. I think that's 807. Yes, that is, yes, yes, you're right. That is 807 about face. OK. OK, so I was kind of thinking more like which ones were the most fun to record. <laughs> um, so I guess they're the ones I'm in. But I, one thing that I love is that Bella always has an argument with somebody. And every season she has an argument and they're always the most fun for me. <laughs> I can't have arguments with my husband. He doesn't yell back. Anyway. Um, <laughs> well, but, we're very one-sided, quote unquote, argument. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you no, know, but um, so I think kind of in juxtaposition to Max and Nora's conversation, right? We have 803 with Bella and Carson, and we get kind of that inside look into their relationship, which is not the same as Max and Nora's, and kind of interesting things going on. I mean, you sometimes you sit there wondering, like, really? And you're still together? I, there's not even, a, I don't see any like attraction there. I don't, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's really interesting. But I, also really enjoyed 810 because it was sort of a cast ensemble, if you will, like where we were all, well, not all, but a lot of us were in there together. And so you have, you have Nora and Max, you have Bell and Avery arguments, which are also really fun to record. You throw some Hudson in there and some Carson in there, and it's just like a big mess. And I think those are just fun. <laughs> Working back from that. So yeah, episode 810, Taking a Village. What do you think is appropriately named? Because as you said, there are a lot of people in that episode. There are six people in this episode. And I can't recall off the top of my head anyone citing a favorite episode having more than, if not four, than certainly five people. Because typically it just kind of devolves into why are you, all of you people here at once? There's so many things going on, but they're all talking at each other. They're all talking down to each other. And as you were describing 810 Bella and Avery having an interaction, which they don't have as many now that they're no longer business partners. The part about Bella's like, you're apparently quite acquainted with screwing over, says the woman with a sex tape with the same man we're talking about, which, of course, is Hudson. And Bella's <laughs> like, from the woman who decided to be him, knowing he had been on tape with me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and as you said, also a little bit into the Bella and Carson relationship, although more so in the previous the other episode that you cited, 803 humorously called lines of communication because clearly they do need to work on their communication. And I think the one positive I can say about Carson and Bella's relationship right now is both agreeing to having Nora counsel them. You might think, well, if they were truly serious, they would go to someone who is already a certified psychiatrist so they could have adequately professional help rather than seemingly you know, discount cheap help. But they already had an existing relationship with Nora. And so kind of blur some of the lines there because it's like, was Nora really their friend? If she ever was Carson and or Bella's friend, I don't think that was the case. Clearly, they've got this kind of working relationship right now. 
And yeah, as for why Bella and Carson are together, and back to your point earlier on, Scott, about Carson being a jerk, where Carson's bringing up manipulation was one of the traits Hudson most found attractive in you. Hudson's lying was one of the, his most traits you found most attractive. And I'm like, you're seriously talking about one of her exes? <laughs> that was a good line. That's <laughs> just... Like, oh, what I is that? I find myself wondering if the two of them are adopting this kitten to be an emotional support animal and for whom. I feel sorry for the cat they're hoping to adopt, who has no say in this whatsoever. And even Bella saying, you know, your specialty, Carson, is playing the victim of circumstances. You sure Riley kissing you didn't do something for you back then? Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, that was it was pretty rough pretty rough sounds like a sitcom relationship yes surprised (laughs) that she's uh humoring max so well in that episode he's being pretty jerkish (laughs) yes yes he is maybe it's um i don't know maybe nora's just trying to uh tread softly because She's concerned that, oh, oh my gosh, history's going to repeat itself. I don't want there to be a rift. Plus, I don't think Nora's particularly pleased with Max doing the live streaming because in the last season, she was like, oh, oh yeah. my gosh, Max is spending so much time right doing this as compared to the laser removal. But this is how my family's being supported and I'm going to school full time and Max is paying for that too. So, okay, dear, whatever you want, dear. Meantime, face bomb. <laughs> I'm honestly surprised, Dan, that he's not live streaming the laser hair removal. Maybe I forgot. Didn't laser removal place get shut down by Bella? Yeah, it did get it did get shut down. But I am surprised Max never decided to live stream that because they could have made some money with that, especially when he went to singe things off. More likely, more lawsuits. Which episode this season is your least favorite? I would say uh, episode eight hundred four, the one just before my favorite. Having to uh, watch Carson basically, like I said, being a jerk and kind of talking down to Bella and uh, just, I don't know, I I think this was the episode where I had to reread the line a couple of times to understand what exactly he was saying. You know, it took me a second to realize, oh, he's being a jerk. Okay, I got it. (laughs) It was awkward to have to be a jerk, I guess. Do you mean 803 that Bella and Carson were in? Not 804? We have lines of communication and that's... Maybe that was the one then. I'm sorry, yeah. Yes, okay. Includes Carson's, have you not just argued in favor of why I'm a better person than you? Which I know definitely elicited a comment from you, Scott, during the episode of recording. It's like, why did you say that? (laughs) It's true. It's bad enough that you're thinking it and acting on it, but you actually say that. I think just asking that question goes to show why, in fact, you are not the better person. Because the better person, even if they were rightly so, a better person would not actually point that out. So that's one vote, as it were, for episode 803. And I'm actually going to jump in on that because um, that's also my least favorite episode for what exactly what you're getting at there, Scott. And really, for the first time in some time, my criticism is rooted not in the construct, writing, or even the plot points, but just that the ugly realization that Carson is more man-child now than Caleb ever was before. I feel sorry for... Gotta try to say this again. I feel so, I feel sorry. I feel sorry. It's hard to say it, right? <laughs> I feel sorry for Bella. Oh, go forgive, forgive me, but I feel sorry for Bella for having pursued Carson again because I think Carson did her a favor initially in rebuking her overture to get back together, and then Carson just went, "Okay, I guess Bella, you really like pain, so sure, I'll agree to marry you." And 
Yeah, Bella breaking her lawyer confidentiality does undermine her otherwise high road in this episode, reinforcing a belief that Gary and or his firm should have been more persistent towards seeing her disbarred. Carson, at one point, you were my favorite character. Long since been my favorite character. I'd like to piggyback on that. I know I said it was one of my favorites, but I think because of that interesting insight, but because I want to agree with you that because of Carson's kind of ugliness, it's also really sad, right? And I think like, especially the things he pulls out, like in this argument are just so dirty and just so like, it's so bizarre to me that a woman who thinks so highly of herself as it seems like Bella does would stick around for that. And it makes you kind of wonder what is going on with Bella, right? And like, why is she going to sit around and let somebody, I'm just looking at this line right now. It's like, where she's like, oh, I expect to be interrupted. And Carson says, like how Avery interrupted you and and Hudson that one time. Like, who says that to your spouse, right? And it doesn't even have any relevance to the argument. It's just dirty, you know? I mean, yes, I I said criticize Bella for sharing with Carson details about what Avery wants her help with. But... Carson also, you know, plays dirty when he says, you really should be asking yourself if you want to tell me not. Why is, why is that? Because if you don't tell me, it'll reinforce my feelings of insecurity and abandonment. So like Manipulation much? <laughs> yes, exactly. And seeing as how in that same episode when Carson said manipulation is one of the traits Hudson found most attractive in you, then I guess Carson has decided that he should manipulate as well, but he's trying to manipulate a manipulator. And if you're also trying to be someone who manipulates and you're with someone who manipulates, those aren't opposites. That's not attracting. That is just the worst takeaway from that. And uh, as you said, Annalie, I why is Bella putting up with this? Because when the series started, I think she was more confident in herself in terms of who she was and where she wanted to go. And in particular, those lines that she would not allow to be crossed. Those kind of things that are, nope, I just know if ands, or buts, I'm not going to put up with this. And as soon as I see it, I'm gone. And it sounds like maybe that Bella and Carson are different people, like they're older. And maybe Bella was the one that was the stronger of the two or directed the relationship a little bit more before. But now that Carson is like this, you know, before they got married, I mean, it doesn't seem like they really had much time to themselves to discover where their relationship is now before agreeing to get hitched. I don't know, maybe Bella feels like she's she's trapped now, that she can't leave this marriage for whatever reason, even though Carson feels like Bella is going to leave him. I feel sorry for her, but I also kind of want to tell Bella, like, give your head a shake. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think, I mean, kind of what you were saying, I don't know if we can psychoanalyze a fictional character here, but... You can um, certainly try. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, you know, talking about like, like what you were saying, like, why is she not disbarred? But she's all, it's almost like she's been socially disbarred, right? She's not getting a lot of clients. She's actually accepting work from Avery, right? <laughs> and I think I would just imagine that she has her confidence in who she was as this attorney who was, you mm-hmm. know, strong headed and very knew exactly what she was doing and who she was. And now we thought for a minute she was going to be happy, like this was going to be a good thing. She almost seemed like she had redeemed herself almost at one point in the series. And then I don't know. And then it seems like all of a sudden she, maybe she doesn't know who she is and she's in with relationship with someone who she didn't expect to be this way. Maybe it's interesting. And it's interesting to see if she'll find herself again. We know how rough Bella's life was, you know, when she 
at some point in her life. We haven't really established at what age she was when her parents split, but she didn't have a relationship with her mother for the longest time. She follows in her father's footsteps to be a lawyer. She gets invited to the firm, which I think some people were like, oh, of course, nepotism at its best here. Like, you really don't deserve to be here. Except I think Bella really established herself as somebody different than her father. And it's not like, oh, who's that? Oh, it's Gary's daughter. It's who's that? That's Bella. And Bella stood on her own two feet. And then with all of these things that have happened since, that since other people have not shown so much confidence in her that she's kind of questioning it. And maybe she feels like she almost deserves to be in this relationship with Carson that is not healthy for either of them. But surprisingly, she is the better partner. That was also very difficult to say. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, this is very Bella-focused conversation, but... That's quite all right, but it's yeah, springboarding off of why it's your least favorite episode, and it also starts getting into characters as, as well. 812, channel open, and I think mostly just because I don't like Garrison that much. That's <laughs> <laughs> fair. <laughs> yeah, he also has quite the extensive paragraph to open this episode, this monologue. Uh, <laughs> I know that's not specifically what you're talking about, but that's, it kind of starts very Garrison heavy because he does a lot of talking and it's the one-sided conversation he's having with Pedro. Right. Well, and then, you know, the mushy ping pong back and forth that he has with Nora. I don't know. I just, I mean, meh. (laughs) So, yeah, I just, I don't care for him that much. And Nora is not a particularly fireworks kind of character. So that's basically it. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. There's some lines in there that are humorous that kind of help it go along. You know, Garrison's like, when something is tried, tested, and true, you don't just change it because it's old. And Nora's like, good grief, you sound like my mother, who I love dearly. This isn't the point where you tell me you love me like your mother, is it? Uh, It's like, um, no. And I mean, Nora, yes, is volunteering for Pedro's mayoral campaign, and Garrison is the campaign manager, which is seemingly why he's spending as much time as he is with her. Plus, it's been inferred that Nora is not just any volunteer. She was definitely not the first to sign up, but she's been given access to the financials and a lot of other correspondence that other volunteers wouldn't necessarily do. Garrison sees value in Nora because of her positive reputation. And there is also part of me that's just kind of like Nora, even Max too, like do you guys not have enough to do with your twins that you're volunteering for mayoral campaigns and are inserting yourself into this issue, you know, again, with the dough contract and whatnot? Like, why are you spending your time with these people? So I get how that all, all of that. And maybe I'm putting some words in your mouth here, Jennifer, but I can see a 812 can uh, have a little bad taste in your mouth. Yeah, well, yeah. Especially, you're right, that they have small children. A small child is a big enough task, uh, never mind twins. And Max and Nora are the two people out of this whole cast who are the most actually likable. I just, I find myself wondering, in a perfect world, these two would have long since removed themselves from any association with any of the rest of the cast. (laughs) Pretty much. What about you, Canis? And any episode, would it be your least favorite episode? Is anyone that man appears in and is talking politics to springboard off well, of some earlier comments? <laughs> that could be true. But the one I don't like is the one where Evelyn and Garrison are having their conversation because uh, it's 
kind of awkwardly creepy. Episode 806, Call Out. I get that. And it's interesting because I cited that as my favorite episode because of those fireworks, as it were. And I remember, uh, Jennifer, you even saying that you're really looking forward to hopefully Gary coming back so that Evelyn and Gary could have that really intense conversation. And instead, this seems to be, quote unquote, second best in that. But you are right, that Canis, that it is. It's creepy. They're revisiting stuff from the past that really doesn't need to be revisited anymore. And it's just a lot of two people not liking each other, trying to make the other one feel worse. Again, with talking about not leaving a good taste in your mouth, it's just like, okay, you two, why don't you do everyone a favor and just, I don't know, not talk to each other anymore? (laughs) Or just go and have it out already. Yes, yes. The fine line between love and hate and like, oh my gosh, you two seem to care an awful lot about what the other person thinks. Why is that? What is going on? They're the next marriage on the show. (laughs) God, bite your tongue. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That might bring Gary back. Uh, (laughs) Wait, what? If that happens, then can we just rename the show Keeping Up with the Kardashians One More Turn Edition? (laughs) Keeping Up with uh, the Doe Contract. Does this town not have a therapist? Because Riley really needs one. Well, Nora's working on it, but... Uh... <laughs> I love the inflection in Evelyn's voice where there was, she said, besides, if this helps Pedro lose when and she was reading loose. Pedro <laughs> 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 loose. <laughs> My brain's oh. not even processing looses anymore. It's, you know, it's... <laughs> <laughs> we just like to keep it loose around here, you know? Loose and loose. <laughs> I think that describes a lot of characters. Let's categorize each character in one more turn as either loose or a loser. <laughs> oh, wait, look at that. Some of them actually overlap with both. Oh, what's that? We could have a Venn diagram. The Venn diagram is actually a circle. <laughs> like I said, Dan, there needs to be an alignment chart. Um, is there anybody who's lawful good in this town? Yes, we just haven't met any of them. Uh-huh. <laughs> Nax and Mora. Yeah, but more like chaotic good for the two of them. Nax well, I thank you. The children. <laughs> oh my gosh, when somebody think of the children, poor, <laughs> poor Mora, poor Nax, poor Avery's child. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Favorite character, I will go with Max. Always. I don't know. I guess it's possible that he could do something that I, I wouldn't like, but he's always my favorite character, and I just enjoy so much how Dark Cloud voices him and and how he's brought Max to life. I think he's just it's just a fun, fun combination. So he's always my favorite character. So I always feel like he's a little bit of an underdog. I don't know. It's like uh, he's trying to run a business, and he was trying to have a family, and I, I root for him because I think he's he's always trying. His heart is always in the right place, it feels like. I agree that he, he wears his heart on his sleeve and he doesn't make it about him. It is so rarely right. about him. And sometimes other people like Nora have to say, like, it really should be about you or like, how are you doing? And yeah, just one of those people that's just... Like you said, as you we were saying before, you just want to get to know them. Did, did anyone else say Max was their favorite character this season? And the only reason I'm asking that in preface is because Annalise said it 
Scott has now said it, and I have said Max was my choice, and I have points for Max. So if there are other people on Team Max for this season, then let, let's have that as well, and then I can I can give the uh, details that I've got here for him. I'll say what the hell I like Max. <laughs> I don't know right. that I have a favorite, but I do like Max as maybe the least problematic. Out of That's true. Cast. Oh, um, definitely. Yeah. Like, goofy as hell, but never means anybody any harm. Absolutely. And when I look at my history of favorite characters, because I made notes, as I went back and I'm like, who did I say were my favorite characters before? For the second time in One More Turn, the character that I choose goes to who is the one of two who is arguably likable, as we've been getting at. And only the second time, only the second character to get more than one nod, and only behind the other likable one, which is... Nora, who was my favorite last season, and I've said she was my favorite for three seasons running. And to what everyone else has been saying with regards to Max, it sounds like this is a unified Team Max response. I know, Jennifer, you'd said the, the, like the least objectionable, <laughs> which, well, I mean, hey, if it's the least objectionable, then that's your favorite by default. Max helped Nora keep her schedule consistent by trading off with his mother-in-law looking after the twins rather than disrupt her schooling schedule. We saw that in episode 805, and he says, you know, your mother will watch the twins. I will in the afternoon. I've moved up to the mornings. He helped Carson by giving him something to focus on while he's back in town. Also, episode 805, he even tells Nora, like, Carson can use a distraction while Bella helps Evelyn with her mayoral campaign. Max actively discourages Nora from judging Carson in the shadow of Caleb. Bella and Carson may have asked to be practice clients of yours, but Caleb did not. Max is considerate towards his mother-in-law by altering his work schedule to assist her. We swapped when we would be watching the twins so that she could sleep in. Max agrees to build his work schedules around Nora's preference for learning, like Nora has gone back to school to become a psychiatrist. Max even says in episode 809, just like the previous point, we discussed you doing this online, but you reminded me that you prefer face-to-face. Max maintains an association with Pedro, even though he volunteers for a political rival. He says it's got nothing to do with his campaign. Max is good-natured by taking jokes at his expense in stride, and still, Max encourages Nora to use her experience in counseling Bella and Carson into peacemaking between Bella and Avery, episode 810. He tells her, you've got a front-row seat to how Carson deals with Bella. Channel it. He texts Hudson in a timely fashion to face Avery sharing her decision to put Baby up for adoption as another measure towards peacemaking. He tries to convince Carson to move past the Doe contract ramifications and into the present. The Doe contract isn't even worth mentioning anymore. Wow, how absolutely well put. He indirectly voices while actively discussing countering Nora's wishes in order to uphold his own convictions about Avery intending to put her up for adoption. Max says, I may be inviting that unpleasantness with Nora again if I help you with this, but Max feels strongly enough that I need to do this and I am capable of independent thought. And although I have a good relationship with Nora, we don't always agree on things. And he's willing to take steps to, again, uphold those convictions. Last points here for Max. He agrees with Carson to call Reese and make the case why he should support Hudson over Avery's wishes to put up the child for adoption. Again, part of his conviction when he said, think of it less as helping Hudson and more as helping keep kin in your family. And he is unintentionally humorous. Episodes 805, 809, 810, and particularly, again, the season finale 813. Garrison and Evelyn character in particular, they just, they're playing off each other very well. 
Although I will admit, Garrison really telling Riley <laughs> you're looking for a man that will treat you like a lady or a parent, depending on the circumstance. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's why she's like, what? It was really easy for me because I've never liked Mackie anyway. Hey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> Yeah, it's very odd because the rest of the time we get on so well and then we're playing these two characters and it's like, And that line to Riley is what the kids would call reading for filth. Also, you dirty, disgusting old man, I am not old. Yeah. Also, I have to say, I'm going to confess that I may be a little bit young here because pink slip to me, and maybe this is because I've worked in the automotive field too long, a pink slip to me makes me think of a clear title to a car. <laughs> <laughs> really enjoyed the opportunity writing for Evelyn and Garrison because it said we can't have Evelyn and Gary for reasons previously discussed but now evelyn and riley this was a scene that i never thought i would get to write so <laughs> <laughs> speaking volumes and it speaks volumes that they are somehow interacting finally all for our amusement and enjoyment so uh hannah mackie thanks for uh carrying the scene you know no, no pressure as i've said before to two mm-hmm. voice performers who are carrying an entire scene there's no pressure there's no weight on your shoulders to ensure this works none at all nope i just thought i'd explicitly point that out Wow. It's a good thing I'm too tired to process that right now. (laughs) It's a good thing I'm used to dealing with Dan and his team. I'm like, yeah, whatever, bro. (laughs) Least favorite character? I also don't like Garrison. But like I said, I guess what we were talking about with uh, Carson before kind of brings him into one of my not as favorite characters either, just because of what we were talking about this season. So I guess we kind of already covered that. So would you say then that Carson has the edge on being (laughs) the least favorite simply because of, if for no other reason, than who he used to be, or at least who he presented? I think if we, I mean, we've watched the fall of Carson, right? Whereas everyone else kind of came built as they are for the most part. I feel like, Mm. We've watched him shift a little bit. He wasn't like this in the first couple seasons, and I think in more than a couple, probably. And it's more painful, probably, <laughs> to see him. I mean, Garrison's always been Garrison, you know, and Bella's always been Bella. And I mean, they all do underhanded things, and they all get mad quickly, and they all... But um, but Carson's is, is newer, so it's more fresh wound. Uh, I'm with you. I really just didn't like Carson's attitude. I just thought it was really kind of crappy. You know, even if there's things he doesn't like about the situation, I don't think he should take it out on people. Really just kind of soured it, I think. His personality and what he was doing was just souring the whole thing. Absolutely. So, probably least favorite character is... Oh, man. (sighs) There are so many vying for that (laughs) I know, right? It's not so easy because there are so many contenders that so rightly deserve this title. Yeah. Um, I really do think it's a toss-up between Evelyn and Garrison. Ooh, okay. Garrison is just an awful human being, but I don't know. And I wonder if Evelyn comes in for harsher judgment from me because... Women who are bad at being parents tend to get an extra ration of shit. 
And I will freely own that that's a bit of a trigger for me, given my own parents. But yeah, they are both just awful. (laughs) Okay, so as I said, with Evelyn just being, well, we, we know Evelyn's story about leaving Gary and Bella. And going mm-hmm. off and doing her thing. And the only reason she even came back is because essentially Gary tagged her back in as he tagged himself out, which is a whole other separate. Well, my gosh, you, you can't even be around each other long enough to both be involved in your child's life at the same time, which, again, is also another slight of Gary as far as I'm concerned. Um, oh, yeah, No, it, it makes him a bad human being and a worse parent. And then as far as Garrison goes, oh, I said you're also finding him to be. A horrible, as I said, he is not a favorite character of mine at all, but I hadn't considered him as much of a candidate for least favorite as, say, Evelyn, because in fact, in season seven, I said Evelyn was my least favorite. So what are you thinking in terms of why Garrison is so bad? I just, I I don't know, I guess that it's, least favorite doesn't always mean bad. That is true. Favorite. And I... I don't know. I viscerally think that Evelyn is just legitimately a bad human being. Like she's failed at being a human organism. (laughs) (laughs) Garrison, I just don't care for. I think that's just because he kind of rubs me the wrong way. I think to maybe to um, Candace's point earlier about, oh gosh, it's the political thing that is front and center in this season and the, the season before it and then also to be in this in the season after it garrison is introduced as a political creature i mean he talked about before in season seven that that's what he has done for decades for work that's a big part of his identity is being a campaign manager and i think a lot of the times when we think of political creatures whether it's because yes. they are in politics and or they follow politics, that in order to survive, and Garrison has done more than survive, he has thrived. So the fact that you entered politics, you stayed in politics this long and have been as successful as you have, when you start looking at how people have to conduct themselves professionally and how they might have to sacrifice the personal parts of their life and the relationships yeah. personally and professionally, that it just says, okay, I don't need to know anything more about you because this tells me everything that I need to know about you. Because yeah. what you are is who you are. Yeah, and I think creature is kind of the right term. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I think that's maybe a little... I mean, I don't have the visceral skin-crawling fuck you reaction to Garrison that I do to Evelyn. Evelyn is just, man, you are one piece of work, lady. (laughs) Garrison, I just don't care for. I don't think he's particularly bad or awful or anything like that. Opportunistic, maybe, but we know what he is. And for the, I mean, you don't blame the cobra for being a cobra it just does what it does um but a parent somebody who supposedly decided to generate their own little human and is supposed to be signing up to make certain sacrifices because of it and just didn't that is a fundamental failure as a human being fair enough There does seem to be a lot of ugliness that surrounds him. Uh, The way he interacts with Evelyn is ugly. I feel that Garrison is at his worst there. (sighs) Ah, 
Carson, man, oh man, you were my favorite in season one, man. Yeah, back when he was a geek and he would do Star Trek stuff, and that was a fun time. And this is definitely a low for him, I think, this season. He is now tied for myself with the most instances of least favorite character, because Rai is my least favorite in seasons four and five. This is a long, yet consistently dwindling descent for someone, as I said, who I named my season one favorite. Kind of already talked about a lot about Carson, because it was Carson is the reason why episode 803 is my least favorite. And when you have a character that just the one character themselves makes you say that episode is my least favorite, that is saying a lot. But... Otherwise, Carson makes out that Gary is not acknowledging his marrying his daughter is important. You know, he certainly hasn't shown it. Heck, I don't even think he's even acknowledged it. Carson, who cares? Gary is not involved in Bella's life anymore. Gary is not around. I realize that, yes, when you marry, you're not just marrying the person, you're marrying into the family. But Gary's, for all intents and purposes, not here anymore. So why do you care whether or not your father-in-law has acknowledged it? Because he's certainly not interfering in your relationship with his daughter or in any other respect. Man, Carson believes that Bella supporting Evelyn means that Bella will use this as an opportunity to divorce him. You're not thinking about leaving me, are you? Which the cites aspects of Bella's romantic past involvement with Hudson as justification. I talked before where he talked about manipulation was one of the traits Hudson most found most attractive in you. That's a bad thing to say. Only followed by Hudson's lying was one of his traits you found most attractive, which is a worse thing to say. Carson maintains that Bella manipulated and lied to him to coerce him back to town. Is the reason you you dragged us back to town. It's like, no, you're an adult. There was not a gun to your head. Bella did not say, like, come back with me or else. Carson even mentions Riley in their conversation that Bella's trying to list a couple of things that are important to her. And just the way that he, he phrases it, it's like, well, to match an infamous Riley top 10, Riley has nothing to do with your relationship focus. He then tries to take the high ground through the insult. Again, have you not just argued in favor of why I'm a better person than you? And then next, he recalls knowledge of an intimate encounter with a Bella X, like how Avery interrupted you and Hudson that one time. And then he uses emotional blackmail to convince Bella to break her lawyer-client confidentiality. If you don't, then that will reinforce my feelings of insecurity and abandonment. And you're probably thinking, okay, Dan, is there more? Yeah, there's more. He blurts out to Avery and Avery and Nora how he convinced Bella to break said uh, lawyer-client confidentiality. He didn't tell me anything Bella hadn't already. Like, <sighs> Avery and or Nora, one, <laughs> even if one of them don't take action to try to get them disbarred, they'll tell other people and there'll be a paper trail and there'll be investigation. Like, it's, it's going to come out. It just kind of feels like inevitably that, oh my gosh, Carson, it was bad enough that your wife told you you know, you shouldn't tell this to anyone else. It should be obvious to you, but then you share that. You just blurt it out. And then, as if it couldn't get any worse, but it does, Carson inserts himself into the Avery and Hudson disagreement over her intent to put her and Caden's child up for adoption by convincing Max to take action, that it would bring Reese back into the debate by using and sharing that knowledge ill-gotten from Bella. Hudson would be in a stronger position to fight this if he had another familial ally, and Carson knowingly, he would knowingly put himself into conflict with Nora. Think of it less as opposing Nora and more as supporting a child in need, when Carson is very, very well aware of how rocky Max and Nora's relationship was when Nora was expecting their twins. So I just have a really hard time feeling any kind of sympathy for Carson anymore, and it's just he's got nothing left in the bank. (sighs) 
Wow, that was uh, that that was really really well reasoned, Dan. Thank you. I yeah. Whatever else I may say about Garrison not being my favorite, I think there's absolutely an argument to be made that if Evelyn isn't the worst person in the cast, Carson might be simply because of how the mighty have fallen where he started out as not being hateful and loathsome, but is rapidly descending there. I I agree with that. That's a good assessment. I felt like he was in a better place in, in season one and he's gone to worse place, even though despite getting married. And so I, I think mentally he's just not there, you know, where he's supposed to be. He's, I don't know where he is, but he's not where he's supposed to be. What I find interesting, now that I'm having a chance to kind of turn over Dan's assessment in my head, you would expect, or at least the people who are extremely online in a lot of social media spaces, would expect for a character like Carson or, you know, Caleb before him, you'd expect that both of those brothers would be kind of the nerdy dudes that don't know how to talk to women and would be real candidates for being an incels, the He-Man woman hater kind of people. And it seems like Carson has gotten more into that space since he married Bella than he was ever before, which I find fascinating in a horrifying sort of way. To think something that hasn't been referenced in a while, as we're talking about this, if you remember the Carson behaving badly video that Caleb took without his permission and that Caleb became infamous, and so a lot of people knew Carson from featured in this video, which we've never specified how he was behaving badly, but maybe it's also, and this is not to justify Carson behavior in any way, but being told or being seen as, you know, behaving badly, like, oh my gosh, that reputation still precedes me. Maybe I should just go ahead and behave badly because now I can take advantage of people instead of being taken advantage of. And he feels like that he's he's ahead. I mean, Carson made the right decision to leave this town before, but now that he's with Bella, maybe he was going for the right reasons in some respect, like, well, okay, Bella wants to go back to town, I'll follow. But he certainly doesn't have to conduct himself the way he's conducting himself. And I think a lot of people are regretting, Carson and Bella included, Carson coming back. As you said, Scott, he was likable geek. He was hardworking. He was trying to stay out of other people's crap. And now he's not just involved in other people's crap. He's flinging it. And it is quite a disgusting display for someone I think that should be held in a higher regard because he used to hold himself in a higher regard. Summary, boo, Carson, boo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> boo. Boo. Very boo. <laughs> I don't know if I would be friends with Carson and Bella, especially them together, but I might agree to show up at a location that they're both in just to watch this train wreck in slow motion. I mean, uh, can you imagine game night at their house? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't even know if they did. cat is nervous. If you let them play games, I don't know. Oh, I don't think it doesn't matter what the game is. Just trying to watch them play the game would be a game <laughs> itself, quite frankly. I don't think, I think that would be the entertainment. <laughs> would you the ever be the instructions? Game. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh man, this just seems to springboard itself easily and will make a relatively easy answer for you, Scott, in part, because you can just say refer to much of the rest of the previous discussion. What do yeah. you think the highs and lows for your character was this season? Because <laughs> we haven't talked about that at all. I, I don't I don't think he's had any highs this season, but he's definitely had lows, you know, with with his interactions with other people. I just don't know where Carson is going, and I don't think Carson knows where he is going other than He's a leading candidate now for a race to the bottom. And, right. uh, you know, Jennifer, when you're making – I never mm-hmm. thought about Carson or even Caleb being, like, you know, one of those people that you said in, in social media that has this particular nasty view towards women in particular and making those statements and following people who make those statements. That could very well be something that Carson is doing more of now that he's back. You know, he's not happy in the physical place where he is. Because uh, he seemed to be doing pretty well on the West Coast, and now he's back. So now he's taking those feelings, yeah. feeling that he, that he himself is not able to change it, even though, as we've talked about, he definitely could. And so now he's finding a place online that's kind of aligning with his frustrations, or at very least giving him something to channel it into. And now he's acting on it. He's moderating Max's live streams, and he talks about how he can work remotely, and he is doing remote working, but we don't know how much work that is. It really does sound like he has a lot of idle hours while Bella is not there. Yeah, yeah, and I realize that this uh, fictional world is very fictional in the sense that we're not bringing real stuff into it, like COVID and lockdown and all of that stuff hasn't happened in this universe, and that's okay. But yeah, it really strikes me the way he talks to Bella is reminiscent of a lot of the vitriol that I see aimed at, particularly at women online who express any sentiments that are much different than that of a doormat. (laughs) Oh, and we know of the many things that Bella is, a doormat is not one of them. (laughs) Carson is gaslighting. It is... It's, it's it's sad. It was not my intention at the beginning of the series that this is what would happen with Carson, but I got thinking about people are only able to take so much, and unfortunately Carson has demonstrated that he's not able to handle this. He clearly needs help. Not that anyone has specifically said that, but at the same time, I don't think he's in a position to accept help because I don't think he thinks that there's anything wrong. Bella, yeah, I think... Agreeing to work with Avery, I think it's a low. <laughs> I think it kind of it kind of shows where she's fallen professionally. In previous seasons, we might have seen them like negotiating a price before she'd agree to something like that, and that wasn't even brought into the conversation. Also, that she's taking so much crap from Carson, which I just I mean, I'm just not used to her taking that crap from other people, right? I mean, there's a reason Bella, you know, has an argument in every season and it's because she just doesn't take crap, right? So anyway, I think those are kind of some lows for her. Um, highs? Hmm. I don't know. Um, I'm not sure. I, I, I mean, at least she's got a job. I don't know. Um, <laughs> she's got a client. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Could could you put maybe a high with maybe how she? I mean, she agreed to be her mother's for mayor. Okay, but... that's true. She has that job too, which is weird, right? That she decides to work with Evelyn after their history. It's interesting because she's got her own sort of motivations going on there, working with Evelyn. 
Um, yeah, I think that's an interesting one for her. Definitely something different. Could it be a high because she's just, she's not taking crap, at least, even if we question why she would agree to do it in the first place, other than perhaps the fact that, okay, she is being paid to do this. Yeah, I mean, sure, I think we could give that a high for her. I mean, it's definitely something cool to put on her resume, which she's probably going to need soon, so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm just realizing now that Bella is directly connected to all three candidates in the campaign. Because she's Pedro's ex-lover and Avery's ex-partner. Bella and... slept with everyone. Um... <laughs> Except man. <laughs> we don't know that. We don't know that. I hope uh... not. <laughs> we have no idea who man is. No, it's true. I no. mean, let's just be honest. We just don't know. Um... <laughs> That's true. She's got a big web. Yeah. And it's probably messy. Okay. I think Hudson had two highs. Two, what I would call highs and lows, and three lows. It's kind of the, you know, the highs and lows are the but. <laughs> and I'll actually start with the highs and lows. Confronts Avery about opposing her putting up the child for adoption as a measure of his convictions, his emotions, and his feelings, and his willingness and his ability to assist her otherwise practically. And Hudson's also has a personal connection to this, right? Because he was adopted himself. But he does all of this confrontation, even if he does have the best intentions. And I do believe he did have the best intentions. But he does so in the presence of others. And there are just some things that should not be in front of an audience. And for someone who is in an existing relationship with Avery, someone in a romantic relationship, I would like to think that he would have been a little more sensitive to that, if not because of Avery's feelings, but because Hudson very much thinks about himself and how he looks. And this doesn't make you look good, sir. (laughs) His other high and low, which also happened in the same episode, episode 810, Taking a Village, he makes an impassioned argument about the what and the how and the why he wants to be involved in the life of Avery and Caden's child, but makes it, again, ultimately about him and why Avery is stubborn to accept it. Borrowing from Riley's prioritization process, you know, essentially this whole, why won't you accept my help? Well, did you ever think that perhaps some people don't want, quote unquote, help from some people because it comes with strings attached and or I just can't see myself working with you in this way. And the fact that you are broadcasting this for other people to see reinforces why I don't want your help. I also didn't ask for it besides. So maybe just because I know it's it's weird to kind of go from the highs and lows to the highs, but I'm actually going to do that. His lows, the outright lows. Well, let's see. He tries to guilt, even bully Riley into when she can and cannot visit Caden's gravesite in episode 807. You know, he even dictated, I thought we agreed not to visit Caden's gravesite on the same day. And Riley's like, um, that's what you said, but I never agreed to that. Hudson shows disrespect to first responders about not being as medically valuable in episode 807. It's like, oh, well, he's just a paramedic, not a doctor. And it's like, wow, how very narrow-minded of you, sir. And Hudson also shares confidential personal information about Avery and their relationship with Riley in order to one-up her in episode 807, where again, Avery tells him, you know, here's one detail you can share freely. Fuck you. Uh, (laughs) And then Hudson abruptly shares and then tries to defend and deflect to Avery almost immediately afterwards. It's like, 
well, actually, you don't get to take the high ground here either. And Mary's like, well, I think I damned well do. And it was kind of, yeah, well, I may be a mega asshole, but you're also an asshole. Well, that, that may be true, but that doesn't mean that you get to take the high road and that you're the injured party here. If what you yeah. are saying is true, and I think Hudson does have a point, it's just, so what, she's bad and you're worse? And that makes sense. Yes. Um, I know uh, you are, but what am I is not exactly as strong an argument. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's definitely not. A, takes one to know one. Well, okay, but wow. <sighs> as for highs, he does put Jacob and in turn Caleb in their place by forcing them to prioritize the one more turn business affairs rather than sidestep or even abdicate them due to personal matters. Like Hudson's like, one more turn is a business. And I get that Caleb is a needing of this rehab, but you're blocking me in what it is that I'm trying to do. We have the potential for a contract here, and there's this delay tactic after this delay tactic. And I mean, yeah, Hudson even had to make it personal. It's like, fine, I'm just going to show up at Caleb's rehab if he's not going to talk to me, because clearly I can't get a straight answer out of you, Jacob. And you know, you're supposed to be Caleb's representative, and this middleman thing is ridiculous. So let's end it already. That was episode 804. And then also in episode 804, he applies an opposite but more than equal reaction to Reese's attempt to blackmail him over his relationship with Avery by spelling out why she has lost all advantage and credibility. And I think I had mentioned before, just as an aside, in the very initial drafts, this was going to be the exit for Reese. Like there was going to be no goodbye. She was never coming back. That there was just no coming back from this. And while that is no longer the case. I'm like, no, no, it doesn't have to be that extreme. It was just kind of like, wow, good for you. I mean, yes, this was another example of, uh, again, takes one to know one and you are and, and I am as well. But I would say those are the highs for him. So overall, do I think that the weight of the highs outweigh the lows? No, I think it kind of comes out pretty well in the wash with him. Yeah, I can see that. It's interesting. I'm I'm trying to consider what I think Avery's low might be. I don't know that she necessarily has a low as such. I've been sitting here kind of scanning through the dialogue again. <sighs> I don't know. As you said, maybe not even a, to the level of low. Like, everything is relative, right? It's like having a favorite and a least favorite doesn't mean that your least favorite is someone you hate. But I would think a lower is at least. So, Bella, can you help me with the adoption proceedings? Because I'm pretty sure there is more than one lawyer, even in this small town, or at least the city, which is referenced that is not which, that far away. Yeah, no, having... <laughs> Yeah, I could see that being a relative, at least a relatively poor decision. Like, go find a lawyer who doesn't know you or any of your associates or anything about you, for God's sake. But certainly not somebody who knows anybody who would have a vested interest in what happens to the kid, right? I will say, though, that her high is the adoption itself. I think it is the single most grown-up decision she's taken. She could decide to become an Evelyn of her own 
and raise this kid, but she has made the decision for whatever reason, and we haven't really heard her say out loud what that reason is, but she has clearly made the decision that she may be 3D printing her own human, but trying to raise that human on her own is not her dance. And I I think that's actually a high for her. I think it's possible that Avery might have felt differently if Caden was still alive. I could absolutely see that, too. That would have lent itself more easily to funny stuff of the wacky hijinks TM variety. (laughs) Um, Having Caden be a dad and bouncing a little kid off of Caleb and Carson as brothers together would, I'm sure, be hilarious. And also, you know, you could turn it into a comedy pretty quickly with the existing relationships. But yeah, with Caden being out of the picture in the way that he is, yeah, I think she also is probably looking at this child as, do I really need a reminder every single day that Caden's not around. It's not creepy enough that she keeps his voice as her phone personal assistant voice, having half of his DNA walking around on a daily basis looking at her and calling her mama might be just a little too much for her. (laughs) She doesn't talk about her family. She clearly has one. She clearly has, at the very least, biological relationships. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, like she was spawned you know she did she was born she didn't hatch (laughs) yes that's right and the fact that she has not shared that detail we really don't know doesn't she was really sharing that detail with Caden and she certainly wasn't sharing those details with Hudson and maybe even knowing that oh my gosh like this is Caden's child he is biologically related to Hudson yes I am with Hudson but this is you know just because we're in a romantic and indeed intimate relationship doesn't mean that I think your parent material, which I know we talked about that episode more than once, where essentially Avery's calling him on his shit and she essentially tells Hudson, I didn't tell you about it, you know, not to keep you out, but for you not to try to convince me to stay in this child's life. I think yes, is the only too. is to me that's the just the very tip of the acknowledgement of the iceberg that is why, which as you said, Jennifer, we really don't know because that statement could go in any number of directions. But she has the wherewithal, yes, to recognize that what's in the best interest of the child is not to be with me. Doesn't mean that she wouldn't find maybe or try to have some kind of arrangement to somehow be involved in the child's life in the future. But yeah, calling me mama, just I don't see it to be in the cards is, mm-hmm. as you said, it's or for someone who thinks out a lot of things and does things very purposefully, she's able to separate the emotional from the practical and sees it as very, this is a decision that I can make and I should make. And she also maybe even recognizing how close she's getting to Hudson without realizing it, because I think both of them kind of started as, this is just an endorphin release here. I really know you, I don't like you, you're just, you're a body, but Maybe she's actually starting to feel more for yeah. Hudson, for Hudson, be right? Because I don't think she would be concerned that Hudson was going to try to convince her otherwise if she didn't feel like, oh my gosh, I'm starting to value his input. Yeah, I think you're right. I think as weird as it seems, it really does seem like, I think Avery's catching feelings here. And 
Uh, I don't know. <laughs> weird. Maybe slightly creepy because, I mean, this is Hudson we're talking about here. Who knows? Maybe this makes Hudson a better person. Maybe it makes Avery a better person. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, because it's a relative term, it's like, great, on this scale of being a constructive, productive individual, we're now at 30% instead of 20%. It's still better, but it's it's. And I think Avery is realizing this more than perhaps Hudson. I wouldn't say it's not necessarily clear Hudson's feeling the same way, except the way that he is acting. It's kind of feeling like Hudson is trying to, in his perspective, I'm trying to save Avery from herself, which makes well, me feel like Hudson really doesn't know Avery as well as he thinks he does. Yeah, well, and it occurs to me that Hudson has his own abandonment issues from yes. having, having been an adoptee, and he is suddenly trying to Batman swoop in and keep that shit from happening to somebody else's kid with a fine disregard for the fact that adoption in and of itself is not evil. It's how it's done. And if an adopted child has decent emotional support from their adoptive family and, you know, nobody keeps any secrets and everybody's clear about all sorts of stuff and are emotionally present for said child and support them in what they want to do, whether they do or don't want to pursue any kind of relationship or info about their birth family, then there's no reason for adoption to be an abandonment kind of thing. But yeah, it really does seem like uh, Hudson's family in particular was... (laughs) not great about not damaging their children. <laughs> I could very well see it that, you know, maybe the intent is good because Hudson even is kind of alluding to it. It doesn't come out and say it. It's like, okay, you now he talks about how my biological parents couldn't look after me because I had no family support. So they gave me up for adoption. I'm understanding now that that was love, that it seemed like physical abandonment, but it sounds like it would have been abandonment anything but if he had stayed, that they wouldn't have been able to give him anything perhaps beyond like a roof over his head and you know clothes on his back and food in his stomach but they couldn't be there emotionally for him because they could really yeah. not hardly look after themselves but hey they got their shit together i mean the fact that they were that young they gave up a child for adoption they stayed together and then they had another child and they raised that child yeah. um that would be enough looking back on it as the oldest child that would fuck you up some i think and it's interesting, I <laughs> I have my own feelings about this as a sort of adoptee. <sighs> my mom had a number of relationships, and nearly all of the men that she's been with have been damaged and or fucked up in some way or another. So it's weird, as much as I dislike Hudson... I understand the abandonment issues. I have more issues with Evelyn because of that. But anyway. Well, we do know that Hudson, not only was he adopted, now he's gotten a better picture of the circumstances why and the fact that he is involved in his biological parents' lives, that they want him to be involved. He is involved. And we also know that his adoptive parents initially it's like well they adopted me when they thought they couldn't have biological children and then here comes the biological child 
but I think he was close to his adopted family, his adopted parents, because he was part of that family and he had a younger sister and then their parents died when Hudson was barely an adult, became Riley's legal guardian because nobody else in the family would take, which probably made him think, oh, this is exactly what happened with my extended biological family. I wasn't wanted by the extended family. And so therefore, my biological parents just said, from his perspective, initially, right, like, just fine, just take him away, have somebody else. And so I think Hudson, yes, he's kind of, your child doesn't have to live through this. Yeah. It's not the same. And he even acknowledges, like, your child's circumstances are not the same. I can help. But yeah. it also goes back to, but Hudson, it's not just about you. This is not about history repeating itself. The variables are not the same because we are not the same as your parents, your biological parents. Yeah, well, and it's interesting that he's he's stepping in almost like he's the sperm donor and he's not. Like, dude, we realize that you have feelings about this, but you kind of don't have a dog in this fight. I will stick by my assessment, though, that Avery's high is realizing that she is in no way capable of managing a child and is therefore doing what she thinks is best to give that child the best shot at a good life. I agree that it, this is an act of love. This is yeah. putting the child's best interest. It seemed like a really easy decision for Avery, because she's got all of this together, she moves with purpose and she thinks things out and, you know, she acts on it. Just, I mean, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, yeah, you also explained why you want Bella to represent you and you think it sounds logical, but holy crap. But for why the child is being put up for adoption in the first place, it's okay. That's making sense. You are capable of thinking and acting for someone other than yourself. And this is... right. It's a lot to take in in a very yep. short period of time yep. where there's there's a lot of reactive things happening here. And I yep. got to give her props for navigating the reaction. Is she perfect? No. I mean, who the heck is? But well, she's Avery. Um, she's, a she's Avery, but it's <laughs> like it's still it's it's causing a lot of stress for her. Yeah. Just to say when she already has a lot of other stress that she wasn't yeah. anticipating and it's a first pregnancy. So mm -hmm. it's like she could read all about it, but it's like, I, I don't know what I don't know. And I don't know how I'm going to feel when oh, whatever yeah. I yeah. whatever I know logically is going to happen. It actually happens. And it's oh. You know, Dan, at some point we need an alignment chart and a list of who all in this cast of characters goes where. They all go to hell, let's be honest. I was just, I was just thinking that. <laughs> <laughs> Not all of them. No, I, th I think Nora and Max will probably yeah. relegate, but the rest of them, I think some actually might make it to purgatory. Wow. You, you did. I was actually thinking, you know, the whole neutral in town is literally purgatory. When a story like this can connect to audience members, and I consider all of us, hopefully audience members as well, on this kind of level, this is the, you know, this is the kind of stuff that, uh, I don't say the kind of stuff that I write for, but it's it's the kind of stuff that just 
makes me want to keep writing and wanting to talk about it because we can bring our own, even as performers, our own experiences into it and, and why we connect with what's going on. Well, yeah, absolutely. And as far as so leading into, um, you know, highs and lows for the plot development, this adoption thing is interesting. And maybe I have an interesting bias on this because I actually adopted both of my children. And so it's a really weird world, the adoption world. Every adoption story is kind of weird and different in how people decide to put children up for adoption or why or whatever. It's always intriguing. And so hearing this interesting thing, the storyline, you know, is Avery going to keep it? Is she not? If she's not, is she going to choose someone in this weird Seinfeld group? Or is she, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> is she going to let Hudson be involved? I think, why would we let Hudson be involved, you know? Um, so I think, yeah, I think the plot is definitely surprising. It was definitely a surprise for me that this is what we were talking about this season. It seems so different than what has been happening in previous seasons, so... And maybe not something that most people would be familiar with. Like they might be aware, of course, of it, that adoptions happen, but then to kind of put a little bit of of a spotlight on it. I mean, a very small spotlight. I'm not trying to say that this covers the topic in any kind of comprehensive (laughs) way, but makes it relevant for, again, the characters and then just kind of a, oh, this has significance and we're giving it some serious attention. Yeah, it's interesting. And, I, and of course, we have this political race going on as well, which is, it almost seems like a very odd side plot thing. You know, it's it's surprising that we've got these candidates for mayor, and I don't know, why would we vote for any of them? And, you know, I feel really bad for this town. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in fairness, if people really didn't like their choices, I mean, they could move. Um. I mean, I kind of, I'm like, how big is this? I mean, we're talking like 50 people or like, you know, um, no, just kidding. No. Anyway, it's an interesting surprise for the plot. Oof. I don't know. I think maybe the low would be the Takes a Village uh, episode where everybody's all in one place, basically yammering at each other about this whole situation where people who are only tangentially involved with the whole thing and are still delivering their opinions and everybody basically yelling back and forth at each other and just ugh, craziness. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it does make me feel sorry for Avery because, look, it's my body my choice i did not ask for this yeah it's like yeah avery wasn't asking for anybody else's opinions on any of this really i think the only opinion that she actually solicited because she wanted it was bella's and only because she wanted to know look are you going to be able to help me with this or not in your capacity as an attorney I need you to help me put this child up for adoption and make it go through. And then to find out, oh my gosh, wait a minute, Bella told Carson about this, and now Carson is texting Hudson about this, and Max and Nora know about this, and Max is texting Hudson about this. And as you said, everyone is providing their input and passing judgment on what she should or should not do. And I think it was also very atypical of Avery to not just tell all of them 
shut the <clears throat> up or even just I'm I'm just leaving. I like I, I don't why, why am I here? Because yeah. she, Avery even says to Bella, I don't understand why you're here. And Nora's like, why are you here? And yeah. Bella's like, we need like an adoptee's perspective on this. No, you don't. I mean, it's like, sure, it's nice to have, but no, that's not how... Well, <laughs> an adoptee, sure. But why Hudson? I mean, of, <laughs> you know, of all the gin joints and all the towns and all <laughs> this guy, right? And I, I think probably the high, if there is one, really, is it's weird because this isn't really so much a plot development as it is a, what, a character behavior. But I would say that the high is that we begin to see Nora really the strong indications that she's going to be uh, really good in her chosen profession with counseling other people. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think that she, <laughs> there was even some, you know, earlier, she's like, I'm not really certain my sessions with Carsa and Bella are going that well, except that part of me feels like part of the reason that Carson and Bella communicate as much as they do with each other. It's not always good communication, especially you, Carson, as we talked about before. But they are talking. They're both agreeing to being in session um, mm-hmm. with Nora. And they're there together. Yes. The, we don't see much indication that they're going behind each other's backs to Nora to bitch about the other. Right. Definitely that. And I actually had that on my high list for plot points as well. And to a lesser degree, not so much the counseling part, although you get even more informal sessions with Riley because, okay, I am transporting you to and from work when Nora's going to campus for classes. But Riley also sometimes, even though Nora doesn't want her to, Riley opens up and Nora is going to give her her opinion, which is usually pretty solid. Riley doesn't always take it, but, you know, that's Riley's choice. Um, (laughs) um, Otherwise, I would say the season four highs. Reese pulled the trigger on the working relationship with Avery, which was no good for either of them. I kind of feel like maybe if Avery wasn't dealing with something very personal, that maybe Avery would have triggered that. But they had both built into their partnership arrangement that the other person can pull the plug at any time and and that's that interesting how they had equal powers and not only making decisions for the partnership but an equal power to end it it. yeah enforce it i didn't get the sense that that was the term that avery and bella had but it's like oh okay these two very headstrong women recognized or just headstrong people for that matter recognize that it's in the best of all of our interests that if we're both not in then we're out so yeah kudos to reese there and avery and hudson was like well we've got to get her back you got to get back you got to talk about this avery was like "Eh, actually no we don't reese has made her decision and i'm moving on whether but she didn't give you time to process it it doesn't matter hudson if we may not like it but this is what we agreed to and this is the best choice um Nothing else, Avery knows how to stick to the terms of a contract. Yes. (laughs) Unlike Bella. What? 
Uh, <coughs> oh, yeah. That's I went back without there. saying, but sure. <laughs> I went back. I went back there, and we already talked about like Max and Nora. They're continuing to work to better themselves and or bolster others. We got Max offering, even encouraging Carson to help him with his live streams for distraction, almost like Max is trying to keep Carson out of trouble. But Carson's perfectly capable of making trouble on his own, and does he ever make trouble? Uh-huh. Uh huh. <laughs> and. <laughs> It's almost weird that I put this as a high because I'm starting the, the sentence with Riley. Riley convinces Mann, who was the paramedic that first tended to Caden after his accident, to enter the mayoral race to challenge first and foremost Avery, but also Evelyn Pedro by extension. And then she chose to approach and convince Hudson to join her in this situation. Now, I'm not saying that man should have entered the race, but it was an interesting kind of wild card. I think there's a term Garrison used into this race because now it's kind of this race to the bottom that we talked about before. Oh, my gosh. Do we really want Pedro in charge of this town, given his personal failings and questionable professional experience that really has anything to do with running a town, let alone people's issues with Avery. And I'm sorry, who is this Evelyn person? Oh, she's left yeah. and she's she's back again. Whereas Man is someone who kind of seems like the anti-politician politician. This is not someone that had any ambition at all, but is kind of saying, I'm like the rest of you in this town, vote for me. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and we can have our town move beyond these people who think very, very highly of themselves to find somewhere else to be. Yeah, so, yeah it's like, vote for man. I'm not any of these other weirdos. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting because one of the things that I talked about doing a secondary school teacher before, history, is one of the subjects that I've taught on and off from the beginning. And there's even this, it's a channel on YouTube, but specifically it's a video called The Rules for Rulers. And the relevant point for this is that the ruler that you want in power is not necessarily the person you want taking power away from someone else. In other words, man's platform is almost vote for me, I'm not them. Yes. But then, but then once you're in power, oh, now what the hell do I do? Because my whole focus was on having it so that you don't win. <laughs> but in this immediate moment anyway, that that's a very powerful message to the electorate of – I'm not different shades of any of these people. I'm a completely different shade. And so all of the, well, the pros and cons for the other three don't apply to me. It's all positive about me. So beyond the kind of long term, you know, if man wins the election, oh my gosh, what does that mean for the town? It's at the very least, it's not any of these other people. The lows, I'll end on the lows and highs. The lows, we've already talked about. Bella agreeing to serve as Avery's legal representative and putting her child up for adoption. You know, sometimes we make mistakes and it's like, yes, you should pay for those mistakes. But I think Avery more than paid for the mistake of asking Bella to represent her, as we've already been through. Hudson violating Avery's trust as one upmanship on Riley. Reese trying to wedge herself between Hudson and Avery for personal gain at their expense. And then Riley effectively, we haven't even talked about this because there was so much else to dissect, but Riley effectively threw herself at Garrison seeing him as a fitting successor to Gary and a blood relative, no less. Oh, and also for Lowe's, everything involving Carson. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, yeah. <sighs> I don't yeah. know. It's to me, too, that Carson was maybe the, the quieter between him and Caleb and... <sighs> Caleb's not around anymore to on a daily basis to run him around or hog the spotlight. 
So I don't know, maybe Carson just gets to do more stuff because of that. Beware the quiet ones. They're not loud. <laughs> they're spending their energies on other things that they're just trying to f- they're trying to be low on the radar because they don't need to be bolstery and front and center and in your face to get attention. They will get attention through other actions and other statements. And I kind of feel like, oh man, Carson was too. It was just it was too quiet. And here's why: you're too quiet. You should be very very concerned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see that too. Others just kind of lows and highs bleeding over. Reese trying to strong arm Garrison into getting Pedro to drop out of the mayoral race and endorse Avery for the position instead. That just kind of seemed like, hey, this is so outrageous. Do you want to do it? No. All right. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> so here's my take. And maybe you, I don't know how much you're online, but I'm starting to see stuff from one social media site bleeding over into another. And there's a subreddit called Am I the Asshole? Yes, I've heard of it. Yes. And one of the designations for an answer is uh, ESH, which stands for Everyone Sucks Here. And I'm beginning to think that with the exception of Max and Nora, that's the designation that this town needs. Everyone sucks here. (laughs) And again, everything is relative. So maybe Max and Nora, unfortunately, you also fall into that heading because you interact with these other people. Still, why? (laughs) Well... Yeah, yeah, that's a good point that, yeah, the question for them is, why in the wide, wide world of sports are you people still friends with any of these other, why are you giving any of these other people the time of day? (laughs) I mean, Pedro's a questionable individual himself, but as established in a previous season, he does have twins himself. So I'd be like, okay, I could see why there might actually be value in that relationship for Max and Nora let alone all of the other probably very nice people that are just too quiet and therefore they're not on the show because they don't speak up for themselves about why they should be on the show. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Other lows and highs, Garrison, again, rebuking Riley's personal overtures while criticizing her professional actions. It was kind of like, yeah, you could just rebuke Riley and leave the rest of it out, even though fine, what you're saying is is true, but it was just kind of a, all you have to do is say no, Garrison, but you had to take it one step further, which kind of also goes for maybe twice. Again, you don't really care for Garrison, Jennifer, and I, I kind of feel like Garrison, it's like, okay, already, move on. And I do realize Riley is thick, but she, and if she doesn't get the message, then, then that's on her. You don't need to keep going and going and going. Jacob, we haven't talked about Jacob hardly at all this season, but Jacob took liberties with his executive capacity as Caleb's representative, as co-owner, and one more turn solutions with Hudson. We know that Jacob has been on the out. He's always felt slighted that Caleb was not interested in him romantically. Yes, that Jake, yes. And- yeah, and I thought that his um, – kind of his reaction to Avery, because if if I understood this and it became clear that he was interested in Caleb and Avery was interested in Jacob, but didn't know at the time that he did not bat for her team. And he was super mean about that. (laughs) The end of season seven, 
as he moved away, he's only come back to serve as Caleb's representative. I think Caleb is pretty well aware that Jacob still has feelings for him. And Caleb was like, hey, I can use Jacob and Jacob will do all my dirty work for me and dealing with Hudson and we'll just do what it is that I tell him to do. And but at the same that. I hadn't even thought about that. Caleb is like, oh, I know that Jacob still has the hots for me, so I can use him to be my little minion. Damn, everybody sucks here, Dan. I know, right? (laughs) And Caleb knows that this is how Jacob feels. Certainly Uh expect that he led Jacob on that was like, oh, maybe we could try something. But for right now, I need you to do this for me. You know, this kind of, and if you do this for me, then, well, you know, who's to say what's going to happen in the future? Uh, Even though that's completely unrealistic. But Jacob is probably, as time is going on, is like, okay, that's not happening. I'm still here doing Caleb's dirty work. There's no end in sight. And I'm going to act like I do have all of the money and the power. You know, I am Caleb. The next best thing to dealing with Caleb is I can be Caleb in this business arrangement. And Hudson's like, I, I don't think so. I'm not playing these games with you anymore, Jacob. So there's that kind of low high there where it was one of those situations where I'm like, damn, I'm rooting for Hudson. <sighs> Why? Why must I root for Hudson? And in this case, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of like if I was Hudson, I'd be like, no, I'd be doing the exact same thing. Like this is this is crap. Business needs to get conducted enough. Other lows and high, low high, Hudson again, which kind of talked about Hudson willing to help Avery to to raise his nephew without him being put up for adoption, but he insists on dictating that decision. No, the child will not be put up for adoption because I can help you. So he's using the emotional blackmail that we talked about before and the public shaming and coercion and, you know, and it's just, and he's willing to let this come at the expense of what seems to be more than just a hookup arrangement with Avery. Maybe more so from Avery's perspective than Hudson in terms of having romantic feelings, because it seems like Avery is developing romantic feelings for Hudson, and Hudson is developing these kind of paternal feelings and feels like Avery is now his chance to step into a parental role, even though Riley rightly points out, um, you're being reactive and it shouldn't be about you being a parent, right? It should be about you wanting to do the right thing for the child, and that's not certain I'm not certain that you're making that decision here, but only partial fairness to Hudson. That's good advice, but it's coming from Riley. So it's he's probably one in ear and out the other, but still she has a good point. And Hudson's like, nope, 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 nope. And the thing is, you think that you're going to help raise this child and you're going to co-parent, but it's going to come at the expense of this romantic relationship, which no longer exists. And so you think that's really going to be a healthy basis to co-parent, do you? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, people at the best of times have trouble with co-parenting once a daily partnership of the romantic variety goes out the window. And I think it takes more effort to co-parent that way easier when everybody's under one roof and everybody still likes each other and even people who do all the things right and go through therapy and don't trash each other to their kids still struggle with co-parenting you know after a split up it really almost seems like avery would have it wouldn't have been good but avery would be better to choose anybody else on the cast to co-parent with (laughs) than hudson (laughs) yeah and I will even include like Garrison in that list. Uh, yeah. <laughs> even though he's already got his own kid. <laughs> 
And lastly, in terms of lows high, Evelyn withdraws from the mayoral race, seemingly the right decision, but maybe not necessarily for the right reason. But she's out. Yeah. I mean, she kind of like, well, I came here to parent and it's kind of like I wasn't really doing that well because Gary wanted me here to parent Bella. He wanted to no longer be doing that anymore for gosh knows how long. But Bella doesn't seem interested in it. But at the same time, Evelyn's confusion is, is kind of justified because Bella doesn't want to be parented by me, but she's willing to take direction from me as a, a mayoral candidate, and she's my campaign manager. So we're still seeing each other daily. And, oh, this is an opportunity for me to parent at the same time. And then, well, oh, yeah, no. I, no, 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 no. Oh, but I also think that that's as much fueled not by, oh, this isn't really working for Bella or myself. It was probably also more that, oh, my gosh, these poll numbers are embarrassing. I'm going to get trounced. Uh, I'm just going to go out on my own terms because I'm not going to win. But at least this way, I can withdraw myself from the race rather than the electorate stomping me out of it. I just find it interesting and disturbingly understandable how willing Bella is to be involved with Evelyn, even though Evelyn is a terrible human being, because it gives Bella a chance to have that relationship, but to be the one in charge for a change. Yes. Yes, that's true. You can't parent me and you have to do what I tell you to, and you're paying me for it. So (laughs) therapy by proxy and I get money. Whee! (laughs) (laughs) and that's uh wow yeah that's um okay i agree with avery and i agree with hudson i agree with avery again no no i agree with hudson and it just kind of goes back to actually what you said in the season seven commentary, Jennifer. Man, these two deserve each other. Oh, well, I love the self-righteous prick comment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she is good at calling a spade a spade. No, the thing that blows me away is that last line from her, where I think that's maybe the most self-awareness we're going to get out of her this season, anyhow. She's realizing that she has no business allowing herself to get attached because I think deep down and probably not that far deep down, she knows she has no business trying to be anybody's mother. I'm not sure she has any business trying to run anybody's Tamagotchi. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You see, kids, there was this toy. (laughs) (laughs) Never mind trying to care for a live human. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think Hudson quite has the self-awareness for himself right now, though you do realize, dude, that you're talking about, if not being this child's father, then being a father figure. Are you seriously going to stay with Avery for the kid? And if you can agree to that and Avery can agree to that, I'm not really certain that's healthy for the kid. I said, you know, Hudson said, you know, I didn't, I, Hudson said I didn't plan to do this, but I don't think Hudson's planning to do much of anything. Hudson seems to be doing a lot of reacting in this season. Hudson is, um, yeah. Hudson is being led by the gland to do all sorts of dumb things. <laughs> <laughs> Although I will say it was... I had to catch myself to not laugh when I read the son of a bitch, huh? You never even met my mother. Uh, it's like, oh. Also, Captain Obvious and Commander Duh. Uh, I finally managed yeah, to... I, I, I called Commander Duh earlier. I was like, wait. 
I just, I'll be very interested to know what happens when the actual shrink gets a hold of these two and shakes them good and hard by the shoulders. <laughs> just basically, what is wrong with you people? I can just see it now. Everybody's like, Hudson, did you call Nora yet? Yes, I did, but I think she's blocking me. <laughs> He's like, nope, nope. I've had to deal with enough of these people. Nope, not dealing with them on my personal time and my professional time. I think yeah. Nora's like, I, I really need some more credits for my courses. But, you know, I think if I had to rely on Hudson and Avery to pass this course, I think I'll just fail. I'll do something else. I'm not. <laughs> well, I mean, there's abnormal psych and then there's these two. <laughs> oh, Man, I think Nora would need extra credit to having to deal with particularly Hudson and Avery at the same time. There's, there's arguments to be made that, okay, there's going to be the sessions where the, both of you are together, and then there's going to be the sessions where it's just I'm just one-on-one -on -one with you because, holy crap, you two need to learn to talk to each other and not mm -hmm. at each other. Oh, man. Well, <sighs> now here's another Gen X reference that uh, hopefully most of us present and accounted for will get. It's an American PSA, but eventually there's going to be that moment you know 15 16 years down the road where either mom or dad is going to stumble into this kid doing something wrong and be like you know where did you learn this blah, blah, blah. and it's going to be i learned it from you okay <laughs> no that, oh wow well. okay <laughs> saw that yeah. thing in years jeez <laughs> oh yeah yeah okay <laughs> I laugh at it now because it's, you know, as innocent as a freaking stash box with a couple of joints in it, you know, but it was the, I remember that PSA from when I was in, I don't know, the ninth grade. Did season eight meet, exceed, or fall short of your expectations, and why? My expectations were to uh, be entertained on some level, and I definitely was. There were funny moments, I guess uh, some cringe-worthy moments, and I had fun recording. So I would definitely say it uh, met my expectations. I've learned a long time ago, I don't really have expectations so much as just like, okay, let's see what's going to happen, you know? like. <laughs> so I think, it, yeah, it was great wasn't like disappointed or anything if that's what you're asking my husband did say you're recording again what has dad not killed bella off yet and that was funny to me he's like i'm sure there'd be enough people that want to shank her so bella wasn't killed off i guess that's a positive and seasons five and six i had said they exceeded Last season i said they met and this time i'm going to say it exceeded my expectations why did it exceed my expectations? We've got character development that is consistent with their evolution or devolution uh, to date, <laughs> personal, <clears throat> personal and professional, and how they want to see themselves and how to best project that to others. While at the same time, we have plot developments that are aligning with the characters' personalities, ambitions, and histories, whether they have been driven by logic, emotion, or a combination of the two so that i've always wanted it to be character driven i think season one in particular was more plot driven simply because the characters were new to me and to everyone else but as time has gone on and finally here in season eight i i, I felt like again it's not the plot is driving the story it's the characters 
that are driving the story. And for better or worse, lots and lots of worse, maybe because hmm, conflict is fun when you're watching it in other people, possibly not yourself, which is why you're following the story. I guess kind of fell that way. And it makes me, I know I'm obviously biased, but it makes me want to know, okay, what happens in season nine now? Because if season eight is this good with all this clustering, <clears throat> then my gosh, season nine should be just as good, if not better. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, I think season eight is still exceeded my expectations, mainly because I'm still kind of riding on the surprise. I mean, it's worn off to a greater degree, but it's still kind of a surprise that we thought for the longest uh, that season six was it, that we were done and dusted. We did this commentary at the you know at the end of season six that was really meant to be like a series commentary yeah and, it was and it was all kind of tearful goodbyes at the end and then into lockdown and 2020 sucking and all of that kind of stuff and up pops dan and says hey by the way y'all um there's going to be more one more turn <laughs> and so yeah my reaction to that was wait what record scratch. So yeah, I mean, it was cool to see it come back. And I agree to see these characters remaining as perfectly imperfect as they are (laughs) to progress in ways that are logically illogical for all of them. I feel like season eight benefited from having season seven because season seven was very much written to for there to be more, whereas season six as you said, it was ending that yeah. season six had its 13 episodes. I tacked on another six to make it a super size season, but because it was the last season, I did a season six commentary. And then we had the series commentary that you were a part of that you mentioned, Jennifer, and it mm-hmm. wrapped it up. So season seven kind of met expectations because, okay, now there's, there's reasons to continue, but it still felt kind of uncertain because it's like, is it as good as what it was before? I mean, it made it very clear that I wanted this to be a continuation, not a reboot, not a reimagining, not a retconning, like none of that. But sometimes it's like, should I have just left it alone? And as you said, we got into lockdown in 2020. There is no COVID, at least being talked about in the show. And in my mind, COVID is not a thing, because if it was a thing or something equivalent, it would have to be acknowledged in some way. Otherwise, that would be doing a disservice. But I made the active choice that we're not going to talk about this in this show. And because of that, because of the time, and it made me revisit the show, because I did feel, and I remember Candace specifically saying, I felt a little rushed at the end in those last six episodes, because I wanted to wrap it up. But there were some things that were just left unsaid or inferred. And as fast as this moved, I'm still remembering Annalise commenting a reference to the Gilmore Girls, that, wow, lots of things happened here. Blink, blink, wait, what? <laughs> there were still things that I wanted to kind of slow down and go back and revisit and expand on. Certainly after season eight, it's like, okay, there's this momentum that is just as good, if not better than anything we did in the first six seasons. And it's rightfully a continuation for these perfectly imperfect people. Yep. Yeah, let's continue this scene from what the hell? Uh, <laughs> I know that describes a lot of episodes on the show, but you know, you know what I mean.
okay, what do you hope the audience's takeaways are from this season? The more things change, for example, Evelyn dropping out of the mayoral race, the more they stay the same. For example, Evelyn supporting man to piss Garrison off so as to impact Pedro's chances. <laughs> like Characters are impacted by choices that they do and do not make and those of others. So, for example, takeaway, Hudson working to become more involved in Avery's life by being involved in the life of her and Caden's child, while again willing to sacrifice the romantic relationship between Hudson and Avery in order to accomplish that, just as we've kind of got to before. Wow. Max is willing to help Hudson with his effort to stop Avery from putting that child up for adoption, even though this goes against Nora's position and may negatively impact their own relationship. And Carson continuing to become a worse version of himself because he sees any action that Bella takes that does not involve him directly as a threat to their own relationship. And lastly, staying emotionally invested in the character's journey as it carries through the plot points. So as you want to learn the outcomes, the positive, the negative, and all of the in-between from them all, in great part because you as the audience can relate to these characters and or the choices that they are making or are not making for themselves. And I think that if it wasn't ultimately a character-driven show, and I keep going back to it because it is somewhat cringeworthy <laughs> it's it's the character's journey that gets us through oh no they're talking about the doe contract again oh why why do we have to talk about this um <laughs> and at this point i mean even max said it i talked about it already it's like the doe contract isn't even worth mentioning anymore i finally feel like in season eight we're far enough from season one in particular, the central focus on the Doe contract. But then again, I don't want to cheapen the audience either, right? I feel like it's a balance between having new listeners and old listeners. And mm -hmm. someone who is just listening to the show say, okay, I'm just going to start listening at season eight. I want it to be accessible enough that you can follow what's going on in the episode. Yeah. Uh, but I don't want to have to explain everything again and again and again, because that's taking away time to be talking about what is in the present. And it's taking away from the richness that was all the episodes that came before. There are times I want it to be purposeful that you know, that the characters know, and that I know as the writer, that yes, this happened. And because it's a choice that the characters made, it is impacting the journey and those they choose to be around. Yeah, we're not meta enough to be like The Simpsons, where we're doing the whole broad nudge, nudge, wink, wink. We know this happened, but we know we've never talked about it since and we're not going to because that's not the kind of show this is. But yeah, it's, it's nice to be able to have something that people can just kind of pick up and start following it's not that you can't tell all the players without a scorecard, but it's nice to reward listeners who've been with us from the beginning by small references here and there back to stuff that's been a while. And I will absolutely agree with your original answer, you know, hoping the what the audience's takeaways are. We may have different people doing these things, but yeah, people are still making the same goofy effed up decisions and still having the same things coming back to bite them when they do. So, you know, there's, it's, there's a certain amount of comfortingness to that. What I hope that people come away with is if they picked it up at season seven or eight, I hope they like it enough to be like, oh, hey, there, wait, there's more? I need to go back and start from the beginning. And 
do that and then be like, oh, man, I really can't wait for the next season. Sometimes I feel like we have a hard time following along, mm. you know, just reading it sometimes because we're like, there's so much. We go so fast. It feels like a Gilmore Girls episode sometimes. We're just like, you know, if you oh, are familiar with that. Annalie for dropping that reference. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. I was going to say that the town reminds me of Stars Hollow in yeah. the sense that I think Probably everybody in this town knows intimately all of their <laughs> mayor and is probably yeah. horrified by every single one of them. Yeah. Yeah. I like I like this idea of being in that Gilmore Girls world there because <laughs> it would make more sense if you had to put a visualization with it. In the end, we do speak very quickly. You know, we're, we're not taking time to think of our witty comebacks just like they do. And I feel like they, they just go so fast. Just seems to be a big race to the bottom, right? But I do hope they enjoy it. You know, I hope that they're as surprised as we were to see that there's a baby involved and that Hudson wants it. What do I hope the audience take away from this season? I hope they were also entertained and I hope they find some of the characters appealing. If you want to start at season eight, then please feel free to start at season eight, but start at episode one. Yeah. Right? Because if you... You're going to be super lost. (laughs) What is one wish for your character? And I guess I would say to grow up, (laughs) Shakespeare. (laughs) (laughs) And almost in a way, hope you grow up again. Because it's it's not like you were never there and you should have been there. You were there. And you should know better. And you did know better. And Mm -hmm. sure, you could argue that it's in some respects, for some people, you don't have to try as hard to be an ass because you can Mm -hmm. just kind of let your your emotions and your mood guide you, which may very well be that, oh, some days you're okay, but most of the time you're varying degrees of a jerk because you're making it all about you and you are either the only victim, and Bella calls him on that, you're the only victim or you are always the victim, which actually also makes him a bit like Riley. You know, he's very good now at making everything about him. And guess what, dude? It's it's not all about you. But the problem is, because you're making it all about you, you are now impacting other people around you. And, you know, it's kind of like how I view myself being a secondary school teacher. It's, yes, if, they're, if you're being self-destructive, that is definitely something that we need to look at. But in that moment, you're disrupting others. That's something that requires immediate attention. And all of these characters need assistance to one degree or another, but Carson needs a big old timeout and a big old wake-up call. Yeah. I would like to see that Bella puts on her big girl pants again and stands up a little bit for herself, more of saying, you know what? I know that we have a history of being jerks, but maybe we can stop being jerks to each other, you know, to her husband at the very least, you know? I'd like to see her find her self-confidence, even if that means she's a jerk again, still, or worse or more. But, <laughs> you know, for the sake of, like, I've been attached to Bella for several years now, I think, <laughs> to her story. I don't want to say redeem herself, because that's not quite right. I don't know if she'd be as, as exciting or as fun if she was nice. But I'd like to see her at least not take that crap. That's That's what it is. Yeah. Somewhere between not necessarily walking over everybody or anybody, but just not get walked on. 
Yeah, I like maybe so, maybe become a person who is self-confident enough that they don't need to step on other people and they don't allow other people to step on them, right? Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah, I'd like that for her. Which is that's very consistent with what you were saying with regards to her this season anyway. Yeah. And maybe, you know, if we can keep her out of prison and keep her from getting shanked, that'd be great, too. <laughs> well, if she keeps going the way she is, the way she's being so liberal with her lawyer's license, it would be really bad for the lawyer to find themselves in jail. <laughs> Much more likely to get sued, too. I think, I mean, Ooh, why yeah. has she not been sued? Because that happens a lot to attorneys. We, I worked at a law firm, and that is very common, even if you're a good attorney. And she is not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So maybe prediction, there's a lawsuit. Maybe there's charges, maybe in the future. I don't know. But I'd like to see her. Arrested for campaign finance reform scandal. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. campaign scandal. Something that we haven't even heard about yet. That'd be interesting. Something underhanded. Maybe something that Evelyn does when she pins on Bella. I don't know, right? This would be interesting too, right? Or Bella does it and Evelyn takes the fall. Wouldn't that be shocking? Hudson, Hudson, you need to be prepared to make a or the difficult choice to do what is in the best interests of your own unborn nephew, even if it is not in your own best interests. Also, and this is so I'm kind of cheating here a little bit, but I'm going to segue. This is still one wish because it's an extension of choices. Extricate Jacob and in turn Caleb for one more turn solutions, as these two have clearly demonstrated that they do not have the business's best interests in mind. I think the ship has already sailed on what's going to happen with mini Avery. So I guess my one wish for her would be to find somebody who she deserves and who deserves her at her best and not in a, boy, they sure do deserve each other sort of <laughs> Because she's already got that with Hudson. Eek, eek, eek. Yeah. Well, I kind of wish that for Avery, too, quite honestly. Because as much as fun as it has been to, rightly, I think, criticize her in the past, this pregnancy, I think, has humanized her more than anything so mm -hmm. far in the series. And... You know, just like I talked about, you know, least favorite character being Carson. I mean, they're all people and they are flawed and rightly so. We want to call them out on their BS, especially since they're all adults and they all make out like they are competent ones and should be listened to. And a lot of them think they should be respected. And it's like, well, you should act like it. <laughs> I mean, if they were all respectful individuals, we probably wouldn't be having this commentary because there'd be no show because there probably wouldn't be much, if any, conflict. Right. But a Avery... I don't know. It does kind of feel like that weird, like Avery and Hudson are better versions of themselves because they are together. But part of that better realization should be that they shouldn't be together. Yeah. It's unfortunate. It's like as soon as you come to that realization that we're better people, I can continue to be a better person. I don't have to be with that person to do that. Right. It took being together to realize that, that they had the capacity for that in some respects, but also the willingness and ability, especially the willingness to act on it. But they're both intelligent people, but they don't always use that intelligence for good, either for themselves or others, that they love each other enough to not be together. Yeah. And I'm fairly sure that Hudson is at best Mr. Right Now. <laughs> 
he, he, I don't know that he's anybody's Mr. Right, but least of all Avery. (laughs) (sighs) I think he's capable of being a parent, but I don't think he's there yet. And even if he is capable, I don't, not certain he's prepared to act on it. Whereas Avery clearly is, which actually makes me part of me want her to no 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 oh my gosh look at this you're thinking about somebody else you're, you're planning this no you should raise this ch-. you know what i mean it's yeah it's kind of, it's kind of, <sighs> i'm a bit torn myself i mean i could see her being a mother ish maybe i could see where that would grow her up and make her the very best version of herself but i could also see where that would be just awful and terrible and do nothing but add more evil to the sum total in the world. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. best version of yourself is not necessarily a good of anything. Uh, yeah. It's almost like a movie that, wow, this movie is really, really good. But because it's so awesome, it should not have a sequel. <laughs> yeah. Whereas, right, there's this movie is so bad. Its only redemption is a sequel, but it's so bad. It should not be rewarded with a sequel. There's that <laughs> middle overlap, like in a Venn diagram, which is like, this movie was good, but it will only get better if there is a sequel. And there are so few that I feel overlap that. That's kind of how I feel like about Hudson and Avery. It's just, you know, like, you should get this, but you shouldn't get this because that means you, you shouldn't have it. You know, it's just, it's it's awful, but I, I, th- I think they're better off going their separate ways. Music by Kevin McLeod. Voiceover by Sedwick. Visit the One More Turn website at onemoreturn.net. Copyright Civilized Communication at civcom.net. I love that you've built in for yourself, I guess, as a luxury as a writer. Uh, you have your very own Captain Exposition in the person of uh, Max, <laughs> who's too happy to be incredibly meta that way and just explain any number of things to anybody new because that's just how Max rolls. <laughs> And I want to thank those who have joined me for the One More Turn Season 8 commentary over at onemoreturn.net. I want to thank Candice Albinus, Annalie Cartamandua Barney, Scott Alphashard Dirk, and Jennifer Lund for joining me. And just because of availability, with a special shout out to you, Jennifer, for joining me on this to again talk about our favorite horrible people. <laughs> I enjoyed recording with you guys, I enjoyed doing the commentary. Yeah, it's been a very entertaining season. All right. Thank you, Scott. Okay, bye, guys. Bye. bye. It's been great to talk about season eight and just how rich this world is and to actually appreciate the show even more and to get different perspectives. Just to think a little bit more about what's going on with these characters. 
just to take a step back and uh, see what's actually going on in this crazy and wacky fictional world. Yep. Thanks, guys. Fun chatting with you. You too, you too, Emily. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. You called All me right. Bella, didn't you? I, I was about to, yeah. <laughs> I was about to. I was about to. I heard someone laugh. I was like, oh, dang it. <laughs> <laughs> You've been caught red-handed. Thanks, Hudson. <laughs> well, well, Bella and Hudson certainly know what it's like being caught red-handed. Uh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. Bye, and guys. Bitch and Annalise's like, I'm out of here. I don't need any more. I'm just like, yeah, thank you. I thought we moved on from that. <laughs> You're bringing up and Carson brings it up. Come on. <laughs> Good night. Good night. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a person that would just want to record conversations for hours on end to see if there was anything useful to use afterwards to share publicly? I mean, really? Oh, uh. <laughs> oh Dan. One more turn, season eight. One more turn dot net.